Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Hope Scale podcast. I've got an amazing uh, leader on with me today, uh, Rob Rosiello, um, and we're going to dive into a lot of detail today about multiple different topics, but really excited to have you on, Rob. Elliot, it's a pleasure to be here. I always enjoy spending time chatting with you. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Um, so I guess uh, I guess just kind of kicking everything off, then it'd be awesome if you could just give a quick introduction uh, to yourself. Certainly. Uh, as Elliot said, my name is Rob Rosiello. I've been in the tech industry for in excess of 30 years at this point, which blows my mind. Uh, I am a, a blessed husband of an amazing wife who's an entrepreneur, by the way. Uh, I am also blessed with two young adult kids. Uh, I guess they'd be insulted if I called them kids and uh, have two fur babies, two dogs originally born and raised in the New York area. Uh, when I get angry, the New York comes out. My daughter reminds me of that all the time. Um, and now I live just outside of Chicagoland, which is another great uh, North American city. Uh, in terms of you know me outside of work, anything with two wheels is my passion. Bicycles, motorcycles, anytime I could be out on the road if I'm not working is uh, is a good day. And you know I mentioned that I've been doing this for 30 years. Uh, my entire career has pretty much been in a variety of different kinds of enterprise technology and at different size companies. I've worked for 100,000 person companies. I've been employee number 35 in a startup. So I've been really blessed to see lots of different experiences in different companies and different techs. And um, I, I think it's really helped inform who I've become as a leader. Yeah. No, for sure, and thank you for thank you for giving that introduction. There is, um, I'm sure, there's a lot to unpack in in the short time that we've got. <laughs> but uh, awesome stuff. So I guess just kind of kicking kicking things off, then, Rob. Um, you've had a crazy journey from account executive to to a CRO uh, over that 30, 30 years as well, and managing multiple different functions all along the way. So I guess just the the starting off everything, the journey from yourself as an account executive to the CRO. Absolutely. And, and, you know, as you and I chatted about just before this started, nobody cares about the boring statistics, right? So what I would say is that um, I, I've been really, I use the word blessed a lot, by the way. So you'll probably hear that a couple of times. I apologize, but I've been really blessed throughout my career to work with some amazing leaders and to learn from amazing leaders and to have both formal and informal mentors throughout my career. I, I was a psychology major in college. I was not a technology guy. And my very first job, as you mentioned, was as an account executive for what was then 9X, what is now Verizon, the you know mega telecommunications company. And the important point there that, that I reflect upon is, as you mentioned, I was an account executive and I was given the accounts that nobody wanted. Myself and one other gentleman, Aaron Short, we still keep in touch. We got the lawyers, the accountants, the architects, you know, the engineering firms. We didn't know that we were supposed to be not successful. So we just went out and hustled and knocked the cover off the ball. And our VP at the time, you know, literally called us spit and polish. Needless to say, I was spit, right? Because we were just scrappers. We were just out there, you know, building kits. This is pre-internet, walking the streets of Manhattan, knocking on doors, and you had to be relentless. And working for the phone company, you also had to do a very high integrity base sale. Um, we were a regulated company. You did not have pricing flexibility. So you had to sell on value. It was a great opportunity, I think, for myself and others who started in that environment to really learn the fundamentals of being a sales professional. Um, 
earned the right to become part of the Citibank account team, which was one of the largest accounts in the business. And in doing so, picked up some great mentors and had the opportunity to do things outside of sales. And that will be a theme that you hear me talk about here in, in this session is get out of your comfort zone. Embrace every opportunity to be uncomfortable and to learn if you want to progress as a leader. If that's what your ambition is, then get uncomfortable. I worked on new product introduction teams. I worked on the data architecture teams. Again, lots of different things. But after about eight years, this is also a theme that you'll hear, I recognized that working in this, you know, tens of thousands person company was not stoking that entrepreneurial spirit. It wasn't giving me the opportunity to truly make big impact and big change. Had success, worked with great folks, still friends with many of them, but it was time to do something different. Uh, went over to a company called Cabletron, which at the time was iconic in the industry to help build out their global accounts program. And uh, and within about a year, we had acquired four or five companies. And again, this is one of those things where you dive into those things that are uh, an opportunity for you to be exposed across the organization. We acquired four or five companies at the time. Craig Benson uh, and Bob Levine, who were running the company, said, hey, Rosie, that's my nickname, by the way. Right. You understand this telecom stuff. Like, can you go help us build selling to back to the telecom? So myself and a you know, group of about 10 folks went and did that. And from that started the service provider team selling back to hosting companies and, you know, pre-cloud companies and that kind of stuff. What was cool about that, Elliot, is we then spun the company out. We actually broke up this billion-dollar company into four separate companies. So, again, great opportunity to learn and just figure out what the hell does it mean to start a business and really start a business from within a company, incubate something, and then split it out. Um, did that for a bit. Again, did the split-out company, IPO'd that. That was a great experience. And then went to, you know, basically employee number 35, really small company. So I went from tens of thousands to, you know, 4,000 to 250 people to employee number 35. Um, this was back in the day when the internet was on fire and, uh, and then the internet crashed, right? The bubble crashed. And we went from being a billion and a half dollar valuation to selling the company for about 160 million. What was cool about that is I got to, again, start a team within a much larger company selling to a, a different vertical market. <clears throat> I love those inflection points, those opportunities to get out of your comfort zone. Did that, stayed there for a while, and then went, took a smaller job. And this will be also something that I think folks need to know. Sometimes your career trajectory is not always up and to the right. You know, sometimes you take a different role. You have to be humble and say, I'm getting into a totally new industry. At the time, it was mobile computing. I went from running North America to running just New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. But a big team, meaningful team in really fun tech. Mobile computing, believe it or not, is really fun tech because you have to really think about what the customer's outcome is. And then from there, one of my mentors said, hey, Rob, you've been doing this sales thing forever. You need to do something different. Now, again, I had built global teams. I had worked on new product introduction. He said, functionally, you need to do something different. So I had the opportunity to go run a big chunk of the channel business, the route to market business, not just the GoTM, the actual RTMs, the routes to market, um, and learned a hell of a lot again about that, about truly relevant and effective partnering. And from there, went to Riverbed. And Dave Peranich, who's uh, still a mentor of mine, 
said, Rosie, I want you to come run the channels here in North America. I'm like, Dave, I'm not a channel guy. He's like, that's why I want you to run the channels. I need a sales guy to run the channels. Give me two years. And I said, all right, but after two years, if I'm not doing something else, I'm out of here. Right. And uh, sure enough, about 18 months later, I had the opportunity took over North and South America, biggest theater within Riverbed, about a $600 million business. Uh, by the time we left, great experience acquiring companies, morphing the company, went from public to private. And then um, from there became the CRO at Skybox. Uh, most recently, very small company, a couple hundred employees, tens of millions of dollars, um, solving really boutique complex security problems um, with great investors and a really good leadership team. And there picked up a lot of different responsibilities. The enablement team really owned the RevOps team. And I wanted to be the CRO. And this is one thing I mentioned earlier about getting out of your comfort zone. It's one thing to sit there and whinge on about, you know, if I was running the show, here's how I would do it. Well, guess what? You know, I could have in leaving Riverbed just done another America's job, but I said, no, it's time to step up and really see if you can be accountable for developing, executing and leading a much bigger function. Um, even though it was a smaller company and smaller dollars, it functionally, it was much different. And, uh, and that's what I've done most recently. Yeah, no, for sure. I think that's, um, I mean, there's so much you could take out of what you've just said there. But um, I think the key point around that is you're searching for the un uncomfortable, really, aren't you? And I think for me as well, that kind of resonates on my side. I've leaving leaving my previous business, setting up my own business. And you, what you mentioned there about taking everything on, there's nobody to moan to now. Uh, it's all, all through and well once you go and do it as well. So no, Rob, appreciate the, the context there. And honestly, um, a really amazing career. And there's so much to unpack, which of course will go we'll go into a moment but if you this is always a, a, an interesting question as well so next five to ten years what does rob rosiello want to do or rosie <laughs> <laughs> yeah you've earned the right to call me rosie elliott um as you can tell the difference between you and i is i'm follically challenged as i mentioned i've been doing this for three years so my time horizon is probably a bit different than yours right i mean clearly over this next five-year window i expect that i'll still be doing things absolutely you know rolling up the sleeves in the tech sector either as a cro or as a theater lead uh you know i'm doing some advisory work right now i love doing that kind of stuff working with early stage companies helping them set up their sales organization and if i was to think about the five years beyond that you know i'd love to be part of either an operating team or a consulting team that goes in and really helps companies get through those inflection points they've hit some revenue and they've stalled they need to figure out how to unlock that value they're going from a product-centric sale to a you know portfolio solution-centric sale so doing you know a bit more of that advisory work or that operating partner operating principle work um i think is key but also i'll tell you and i've always been involved in community-based things um big brothers and you know special olympics and that kind of thing very early in my career right now i work with a local organization that does support of uh, foster care kids working to get them out of the foster care system and i'm literally about to start working with an organization as a volunteer now that uh, works with those that are underserved, perhaps for you know different communities of interest, helping to get them into the tech sector um, as sellers, as customer service, as whatnot, and doing some mentoring and whatnot. So absolutely see over this next five to 10 years, really starting to take the, the blessings that I've had, both 
career-wise as well as financially and start to think in a much bigger way about how I can deploy that into uh, into communities of interest that really could you know benefit from organizations that are doing stuff like that. Yeah. You know, in the tech sector, listen, the fun part about tech people, if you if you have a love of learning, you're always going to learn something. I mentioned I've done lots of different things. That was intentional. I love to learn new stuff. I love to get uncomfortable and put myself in those positions. So again, I've done security, network infrastructure, telecom. To me, the, the title is less important. It's the ability to make an impact. It's the ability to work with great people in an interesting tech, maybe even doing something that's giving back to society um, in, in a different way. And just really work with great people with a great growth mindset. That's what I think is most important as I think about this next five years and, and beyond. Yeah. No, for sure. And um, I think that the growth mindset part of it is is key because that's thrown around uh, the industry a lot as well. When when you're when I'm speaking to individuals as well, when they're when they're looking for the next role, the culture, do people have the same mindset as what you're looking for? And I think in recruitment, especially in in my field, is that is so key even moving into a role as well. Um, so no, I appreciate appreciate the context there, and, and hopefully uh, the next five to ten years will be just as, ex- as successful as there <laughs> as your life. I always joke that my goal is to open a doggy daycare because you know I, I love dogs more than I love most humans. To be, if I'm really <laughs> my mother, honest, my mother wants to open one of them as well. So maybe maybe <laughs> we can do something together. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Now, um, now scaling it back a little bit into uh, into kind of the operations side of stuff. So, um, creating a, a strategy worldwide. I think stepping up from um, the Americas position, stepping into an, a worldwide position, is a step that everybody wants. But sometimes there's there's parts that people miss when they do that role. So, um, yeah. creating a strategy is a huge part of it. So it'd be great to understand your your thoughts and feelings from stepping from Riverbed into Skybox as the CRO, and how can you really create that global go to market? Yeah, I, I think there's you know a couple of things when I think about go to market overall, um, whether it be regional or global. And what I'll, I'll even take it one further step back than the regional versus global, if I may. Um, one of the biggest things that I see a lot of companies of various sizes do is they have this, what I'll call naive notion that the sun rises and sets based upon what it is that they do, right? Like they are the most fundamental thing in the world. And we're not. I don't care if you're Microsoft, SAP, or a smaller company. We are all ingredient technologies or we're all ingredients in something that the client side is trying to deliver. They're trying to see some form of outcome. It's either an opportunity-based outcome or a problem-based outcome. So, you know, when I think of a go-to-market, the biggest thing that I would recommend to folks before even thinking about the regional versus global is, where do you fit within that client's ecosystem? What ingredient are you in the outcome that the client is trying to achieve, right? And I used to joke that, you know, we all want to be the chicken in the chicken soup, but the practical reality is some of us are the carrots, some of us are the celery, some of us are the bay leaf and spices and whatnot. The client is looking for an outcome. And in most instances, there is not this homogeneous solution. It is an ecosystem-based solution. I mean, if you think about even your laptop, it's a paperweight without an operating system. An operating system simply turns the dang thing on and gives you the basics. But until you download either Google Docs or 
Microsoft Office, it's still a paperweight that has a, you know, a screensaver. That's all part of that ecosystem, right? So what problem is it that your company is trying to solve? Then you take it and then you fit into that ecosystem, right? You think about, and now this does become part of the regional versus global, right? What alliances do you need? What routes to market? Again, I see a lot of companies puff their chest out. I've got 45 different technology alliances. You cannot actually effectively manage those. You, you know, I've got hundreds of VAR partners or systems integrators. You can't manage those. So two words that I like to think about as it relates to overall go-to-market strategy is how do I achieve relevance for the outcome that the client is trying to achieve? What are those partners that I need? What are the alliances that I need, right? How do I then most effectively partner with those kinds of folks, right? It's relevance and effectiveness as it relates to go-to-market to me has got to be a foundational question that you ask. Okay, so that's one aspect of it. The second thing, though, as it goes from a regional to a global, listen, the way we talk in Texas is different than the way we talk in New York, but ostensibly it's still English. Okay. However, when you start thinking about the broader expanse, whether it be even Latin America, which I did have South and Latin America as part of my team um, in prior lives, but you know, there are different cultural mores in Europe. And even within Europe itself, right? The French and the Germans do business very differently. Okay. Uh, I think what's really critical and, and the thing that I've been had the great opportunity, even when I had just regional roles, I learned from some of the best players and athletes in Europe and in the Asia Pacific Japan markets, right? Really accomplished folks. The ways of doing business are different. The RFP process, the tender process, the partnering process. Um, just all of the, the legal issues that you deal with. So again, you know, at, at Skybox, I had the good fortune of having a great APJ leader who unfortunately moved on and then hiring a new APJ leader who really understood the market, had a really strong European leader, then hired a really strong European leadership that was the right people or they were the right people for the company. And I mean, no disrespect to the predecessors because I'm still friends with those guys as well. Um, you hire the athletes for the companies that you want to become, okay? Not necessarily the company that you are. That doesn't mean you disrespect the folks that have built the company. I think, you know, again, seek to understand when you're building a go-to-market strategy, what have we tried? What's worked? What hasn't worked? Was it a point in time? Was it an inflection point? All those kinds of questions. But as you start to think about, you know, expanding into the rest of the world, um, again, depending upon the stage of company that you are, you have to be really thoughtful. What are the anchor markets that you need? Yeah. Go invest in those markets, right? Whether it's the UK, whether it's France, whether it's Germany, what have you, Singapore, and then it's Japan. If it's Australia, you have to be really thoughtful because in these kinds of regions, as well as in the US, right? You want to be thoughtful to hire the athletes that understand the cultural mores, understand the go-to-market routes to market, have a good reputation, have standing in those markets, and can really pave the way for you to open doors as you do global expansion. Um, the last part I'll say about, you know, just the go-to-market overall. Um, and I just had this conversation with, uh, with an investor, uh, that I'm doing some advisory work with, right? Um, I, I do have a playbook 
I mentioned earlier the way that we speak in New York is different than the way we speak in Texas is different than the way we speak in France, right? Um, however, strategy should be foundational. Strategy should absolutely be something that is consistent, that is communicated, that is clear. The way that that strategy is applied is the artistry, okay? Because the way that we do things in France, in Paris, France, is different than the way we do things in Paris, Texas, okay? So you want to find that balance of a strategic foundational approach that everybody understands and understands the clarity as to why you're doing these things. But then you want to hire really strong people. And I know that's one of the things that we'll cover that understand those markets and, and understand how to put the artistry into that go-to-market strategy. Does that make sense? It does. It does indeed. And I, I love your explanation there about hiring different athletes for certain regions because it's so true. Um, I've had the pleasure of working as well all over uh, Japan and, and all these multiple different cultures and finding the right talent in these regions is so critical to the business. And another thing you mentioned is not about hiring for the business now. It's about hiring for the business, what it's going to be as well. I think that's key. And I think a lot of companies do miss out on, on some things like that as well. So, no, thanks for sharing that, Rob. That, again, we could unpack everything from that all day, but that's awesome. Um, I guess what we'll flip it to, because we were just talking about hiring there. Um, one of the, one of the key topics, obviously, myself being a recruiter, um, I always love to really dive into the detail with individuals about how and, and what um, people do to hire the right and best talent. So, I guess diving into the detail here with this one, um, hiring and retaining talent worldwide. Um, I know we've just touched on it there, and it's important regarding a strategic value. But what what do you think about, and where, where do you uncover um, problems and, and stuff like that throughout your career? Yeah, absolutely. You know. So again, you, you've heard me use the term athletes as well, right? Um, I go back to you know the movie Wall Street, the original one, not the one that came out when when you know in the past couple of years. The original one where Gordon Gecko says, "Give them to me, fat, dumb, and greedy." Um, you know, um, I, I remember when I first got hired, and I said to my mentor because I got hired into one of these development programs. Uh, in 9x and it was i thought i wanted to go into hr which by the way would have been a colossal mistake all right um and actually my mentor said me that told me that and and he said we're putting you in sales and i said what the hell do i know about selling telecommunications he said well you sold men's suits in college that's how i put myself through college um, it's our job to teach you how to sell so one of the things that i see folks make a mistake on this notion of hiring for where you're going versus where you are um by the way, you always want to tease out the best in the talent that you have, right? So I'm not one of those leaders that comes in and clears house and brings in my team. If I have the good fortune of joining a company, that team that's there is now my team. It's my job to provoke out and understand the best of the best in that talent and how we can amplify that talent and how we can leverage the talent that's currently in the business to amplify the success of the rest of the organization. But when I start to think about hiring and retaining folks, I mean, this is a real world example. And again, no knock on, on my predecessors at Skybox. Skybox does security software, security management software, right? A lot of what they were hiring was guys and gals that had sold firewalls because they understood security. But what they didn't understand, a good number of them was enterprise application software sales. Yeah. All right. 
So we went out and started to look for folks that knew how to sell enterprise software. And that's what I mean by hiring from where you're going. And as so many companies today are going through that inflection point from you know appliances or whatnot to subscriptions to SaaS, you have to hire folks, even if they've not done it before, that understand the sales cycle, the complexity of the sales cycle, the nuances. So that's the kind of athlete that I like to look for. Now, again, that's germane to the kind of business that I do. If you're in a more appliance centric, commodity centric, you know, speeds and feeds, I'm not knocking that. Then go hire that athlete, right? But hire the one that's, you know, kind of like the next generation. So, you know, even at, at Riverbet, I look for folks who had sold for Microsoft. I look for folks who had sold from SAP and big companies because more and more the riverbed business was going to that longer sales cycle, more strategic, that land and expand motion, right? Um, and again, to me, it starts with when you're thinking globally, hire the best leaders you possibly can. Okay. One of my mentors um, said, hire great leaders because they'll hire great people. Great people will then hire really good people. Right. And it, it does. Unfortunately, it starts to become a, a little bit dilutive. So I try to find, and again, they may be non-traditional but they've had a track record of success. They understand the market and they understand the selling motion that it is that the company that I'm in is trying to achieve, right? That's that's the kind of hiring that I look for. Um, this notion of athletes, I want scrappers. I want people who are not enamored with their title. I want folks that are willing to get in there. I don't care how big the company is. Um, get in there with your team, out in the field as much as humanly possible, learn the local markets, loan the local partners, um, and really try to make sure that you're putting the right kind of folks together um, that that provoke the best out of each other. That's what I'm looking for in hiring. I look for what I call the three A's, attitude, aptitude, and action. Folks that just really have the aptitude to learn, and then most importantly, are they willing to put it into action? right? Can they demonstrate action? Can they demonstrate humility? You ask a question at the end of this session that, you you know, it's one of those loopy questions that you and I chatted about before, right? Are they humble? Can they talk about where they failed, right? I mean, a Hall of Fame baseball player only hits the ball three out of every 10 times. The guy who gets traded every two or three years hits the ball two out of every 10 times. It's not just God-given talent. It's the ability to hustle. It's the ability to work. It's the ability to work as a team. It's the ability to learn, right? To me, that's what I'm looking for. And those are the kind of things when I look to hire folks that I'm trying to poke really at. It's kind of like, show me where you've made the mistake, where you've actually failed, and what you did to you know, take it to the next level. Yeah. And I think it's um, it kind of circling me back right at, right at the beginning as well. And when you're talking about going out of your comfort zone, I think hiring sometimes you're you're almost searching for people who've kind of want and been there in, in certain circumstances like out of your comfort zone and things like that and stepping up into roles where they may have failed or, or done something where um they've gone and improved significantly after the back of something so no, I love that. And hiring across multiple different regions as well it is tough. Um, and of course, having that real network and um, driving into where the business is going is a real, real key part. I just want to switch back a little bit into managing multiple different functions. Um, so, yeah. of course, when you step up in through your career from um, a sales rep all the way right to a CRO, you, you gain traction from multiple different areas. And as a CRO, you're looking after everything under the go-to-market function. So it'd be great to understand your thoughts and feelings on working with multiple different functions as well. 
Yeah. And, you know, I think this is a really important part. And again, it does come back to that theme that I would suggest to folks earlier in their career is to get out of your comfort zone in the perspective of always try to, if part of your ambition is to progress in an organization, be a part of teams, right, that allow you to do different things, right? Again, I was blessed early on that one of the product guys at 9X said, we're going to pluck you out to work with Gartner. This is, again, in the mid-90s to help define what our post-regulatory incentive regulation data strategy should be. I got to work with engineers, with product managers, regulatory people. I learned so much about different constituencies in the business, right? So again, always try to, as you're progressing in your career, even if you're not doing the other functions, try to understand what the heck it is that is that they have to deliver in the business, right? The CFO wants the business to be successful and profitable. He or she does not want to come from the land of no. They want to come from the land of yes, the business is healthy. Yes, the business is done with integrity. It's profitable, all those kinds of things embrace them as partners. So, and again, I think those are things I always joke that I could sit here and talk to a CFO about things like LTV to CAC, about inventory turns, about churn, about gross margin, net margin, everything. You don't want me being your FP&A guy. That's not where I live and breathe every single day, but I'm absolutely very comfortable having conversations across the organization because again, I think you have to approach the other functions in the organization, irrespective of what your level is, with respect of what the hell it is that they have to deliver in the business. Okay, I think that is a, a really important thing as part of leadership progression. And one of the things that I talk about is mission above self. As a leader, it's very much like that journey of being you know, a young child where the world revolves around you, to a teenager where you start to realize there's a bigger world, but it still kind of revolves around you, right? To maybe now you're dating or married and you kind of go, oh, shit, I've got, I've got to, you know, find some balance with my partner to now I'm a parent and, and you, it becomes bigger than you. As you progress in leadership, it really does need to be mission above self, organizational mission above your own stuff. So what does that mean? Be curious about every other function, right? And then within your function, surround yourself with crazy, smart, talented people, and then respect them and tease out the best from them. You know, I have uh, one of the folks that that uh, worked for me, also worked for me at my prior life, one of the most talented, sharpest uh, people I've ever had the opportunity to work with in my life, period, end of story. She is uh, has an operational mindset. She ran RevOps and enablement. Um, she also uh, has a sales mindset, right? And she finds that balance. And what I love about you know that managing of multiple functions, if you surround yourself with crazy smart people and you are humble enough where you can seek their honest feedback, what one of the things I love about this person her name is Maggie, is she has no issue, even though she works for me, to say, stop, we're not doing that. You know, and I'll, what do you mean? We're not doing that. We have to do these three things first, right? So you have to, A, embrace a broad strategy, surround yourself with crazy talented people, tease out the best of them, create this continuous feedback loop, 
and then let them do their thing um, by always communicating back and forth, right? Always having that notion of what is the organization's mission? What is our team's mission? How does that fit within there? And then you drive that ball forward. But you got to be curious, right? I mean, I'm not a CMO. I learn from CMOs, right? I can talk about intent data. I can talk about analyst relations. I can talk to analysts. I'm not a CMO. Have that relationship with your peer group across the organization with respect for what it is that they have to deliver and how they have to do it and what constraints they have and how you can be an ingredient technology in supporting their mission and be very clear with them on how they support your mission. In doing so, I think that's where you start to tease out the best of managing multiple functions. No, you can't do it all yourself. So surround yourself with really talented, sharp people and respect the hell out of them. Hold them to a standard, communicate the strategy, but then respect them to go execute on what the hell it is you've asked them to execute on. Yeah. No, for sure. And that, that goes back again to the to the hiring people, doesn't it? It's all about really getting the right people on board or everybody going towards a mission rather than um, all, all kind of self-satisfied stuff as well. So no, that's, uh, that's awesome. And that really aligns into the next point. Uh, what we're talking about is the culture. Um, so in terms of running a culture in an organization you're talking about there, and, and of course, different sizes, CRO at uh, Skybox and a large organization with Riverbed. And previously, how do you drive a culture within your organization? There's a very old quote, by the way, I love quotes, right? And I steal lots of quotes, but do give attribution. Um, you know, there's uh, one that's very famous and it's, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And I, I always remind myself of that. Uh, and then I love Einstein quotes as well. And there's a host of those. But as it relates to culture, I think, again, it goes back to that notion early on of, you know, my product is the is the X, Y, and Z. You know what? People work for and with people, people buy from people, okay, um, more than they do brands, okay? So I think if you want to think about culture is, first of all, again, this is just, it's me, right? Um, communicate, communicate clearly, check back on what you're communicating, right? I had a great mentor um, he, he who didn't even know he was a mentor. This is what I mean by you'll hear me talk about mentoring as well in a, in a bit through this, right? And you've heard me talk about it. Um, he didn't even know he was one of my mentors, a guy by the name of Jim Welch. He was over at Motorola. And he was like, you know, I know what I mean when I say what I say. But based upon the way people respond and react, it was clear that I did not communicate. And I own that. And I will never forget that conversation. And again, that is a culture of both leadership and humility that Jim brought to the table. And he was one of the most assertive, aggressive guys in the world is. Um, but he also owned the fact that he was imperfect, right? So I think you need to treat people with respect. I think you need to treat people with integrity. You need to be open. I will tell you without hesitation, I say this a lot as well. If I'm the smartest person in the room, I'm in the wrong room, okay? And that goes back to what we talked about a minute ago, right? Surround yourself with really smart people, lay out the strategy, tease out what works, but then also get that feedback loop going. I do a lot of things. I call them workout teams or scrum teams. I call them for the field, by the field, right? 
who the hell am I three, four steps away, even though I have a fancy title called the CRO, to design exactly the selling, the, the, the subtle nuances of the selling process? Let's go grab two or three salespeople. Let's go grab two or three SEs. Let's go grab a channel person, a marketing person, an ops person, slam them in a room, say, this is the opportunity we're trying to seize or the problem we're trying to solve. You got two weeks to go figure out the best way to do this, right? That is a culture of inclusion. It's a culture of respect. It's a culture where you're actually continually creating this feedback loop. People want to be heard. They want to feel relevant. And they also want to be communicated with honestly, okay? I mean, listen, we can't always adopt everybody's ideas. Yeah. If you can't, you have to also be willing to say, hey, thanks for doing that. We're not going to do X, Y, and Z. I think that culture of openness and humility and integrity is something that is what creates kind of like the tribe, right? If you will, where people will go. Um, you got to celebrate wins, right? Give credit where credit's due. Um, you know, I, I love nothing more than during our sales spotlights, I would do the five minute, 10 minute introduction and then turn it over to our marketing team, to sales teams, to channel teams, and let them run for the next 40 minutes. Let them showcase what's good about them. I think people learn from that and they also see the culture of you know performance and whatnot. And then the last thing I would say about that, about culture in general, when I reflect back upon um, various stops in my career, right? I've worked for some really hard-nosed, just beat the heck out of you people, right? Um, and yeah, I performed well, but... And you got to be hard-nosed. People need to know that there is an expectation of execution, of performance, of achievement, right? But where I've performed best is where I work for people that balance being hard-nosed, but being human, okay? Um, I went through stages in my career where I was a little bit more of the, here's, I'm the XYZ person. This is all you get to see of me, right? Um, I won't bore you with the story. I now close almost every internal presentation with, and I've been doing this for about 10 years now, with a picture of my wife, my kids, and my dogs. And I remind people, this is why I show up to work. This is whom I'm accountable to. And I'll tell a quick quip or two about, you know, Jack playing in his band or Carly doing X, Y, Z, right? Um, what's more important about that, though, Elliot, is I then invite people to tell me about them. And you would be surprised. Some folks don't. And I get that. And I respect that. I have folks that still to this day that don't work as part of my team anymore that will send me a note. Hey, you know, so Abigail just went off to University of South Carolina. Remember those conversations? Again, those are the kind of things culturally that I think, um, you know, you people buy from people, people sell with people, right? A, a guy that was an inside sales rep of mine is now a VP at Palo Alto, just moved his daughter from Texas to Chicago. I drove down to meet them in Chicago. I've known this guy for almost you know 25 years, right? Professionally and personally and professionally and personally, I'm introducing his daughter to people her age in the community, right? It's about people. And I think that really does show through in culture. But then to bring it back to business, you have to have an expectation of performance, what is acceptable, 
what is you know not acceptable and you want to reward the things that are done right no matter where the good ideas come from no matter where the execution comes from it comes from you know culture yeah no for sure and it's um it's awesome that that just the journey you mentioned there about one at one point being a maybe a more sterner leader then as you've grown as obviously your family's grown as well you've you've kind of embodied this new kind of leader in it it's um it's awesome it really is and i think culture is just a huge topic isn't it always always is but especially at the moment it's getting more and more and more frequent where it seems so simple but can they can they switch it who, who will know but um yeah, no, that's awesome. And um, just to add into the last well, one. Yeah, at one, what, yeah at, at one company, depending upon my mood, right, the, the, the word would go out, you know, the tiger's on the hunt. That was when I was like, right? And then if I was in a more jovial mood, it was tiger's on his way, right? So it was pretty uh, funny, right? And they, they thought that it didn't get back to me. But of course it does, right? And And again, I think again by being fair and even and communicative you earn the right to be tough because you're explaining as to here's the expectations right and you're not making it personal by the way i'm not a believer in you know public embarrassment or public shaming i am a big believer in public accolades and whatnot that are really based upon facts and goodness not just bs but those coachable moments i think people thrive on those coachable moments um and if it's done with respect and with integrity and all those kinds of things, I think that breeds the kind of culture that folks want to be a part of. That's just so I believe. So no, I agree. I agree. It's awesome. And um, kind of tying things this thing, because now you've got a, an amazing culture that you've built. How do you really drive success within your teams? Yeah, again, I think there's a couple of things that, that are that are important. I said to the I mentioned this a moment ago. People have to know the where you're going, right? They have to know the why you're going there. Now, not everybody needs to know every single grain of sand as to LTV to CAC and whatnot, right? But I think if people understand, all right, here's what we're doing, and I'll, I'll just make this up illustratively. Our selling motion is going from pure land to a land and expand selling motion. And then you explain to them the goodness of it. And then you give them the tools as to how to do that and whatnot. Then you can embrace the, hey, here's what we're going. Here's the performance that we're trying to drive, right? I used the word athletes before. I want people who are on the field of battle. If I'm a CRO, a VP of sales, a director of sales, right? In theory, we're all competitive. Publish the damn league tables, right? Whatever those three or five core metrics are, publish it. Put it out there. When I worked at 9X pre-Excel, every Monday morning, the, the VP's EA would get up and she would literally change the magnets on the board, put up the magnets as to who had the sale of the week. And let me tell you, every Monday morning at 10 o'clock, 60 people were huddled around that, right? Now it's like we publish a league table every single month. These are the core attributes. And here, you know, here's where you rank in those core attributes. Oh, by the way, here's the number one, right? Here's the number two, number three. Um, I think it's really important to, again, communicate, give feedback as close to in the moment as possible in terms of high, creating that high performance, whether it's good or bad, right? Be humble, ask for it. Hey, what could I have done better as well? But be very clear on your expectations, right? In order to get to your target, you're going to have X number of new business wins, Y number of expansion wins, let's go carve out our territory i mean literally invest the time with your 
athletes, by the way, not just sales, SEs, SEs in a tech sale are critically important. We spent a lot of time in investing. I had three really strong SE leaders that we were able to promote from within the business where we started to invest in the SEs, give them the skills, give them the voice. And again, set that standard as to what you expect and then communicate it and check back on it and let people know this is what good looks like. Okay. Um, it's not accidental that, you know, XYZ athlete is one of the top athletes. They're doing the things that in theory are going to create success for themselves and by virtue of that fact of business. So communicate the expectation, make it clear. Give feedback when it's going well or when it needs corrective action as close to real time as possible. Celebrate wins. That's how you create that high performance mentality. And, yeah. and again, get uncomfortable, right? Always be uncomfortable. If I'm comfortable, it's time to move on. Seriously, that's just, that's what drives my DNA. I'm not, I used to have one of my directors say, I'm comfortable with that. And my automatic reply was, how do we get a little uncomfortable, right? How do we, when you're uncomfortable, I find uh, you, you can perform better. Yeah, I agree. I, I completely agree. Putting yourself in, in a state where you have feel like you have to achieve something, I think is um, is a lot more driven than, because in recruitment, I speak to multiple people all over the world. And sometimes you see people are comfortable and they want to move because it's a bigger paycheck or some, some people are really uncomfortable and they're driving towards a goal and they really like being there, even though they might be on less money, but it's, um, it, it's not all about money. Of course, it's about driving to, to something which we've talked about as well. But I think you mentioned there a little bit about the leaderboard. I, I, that's interesting to me because in recruitment, sometimes it's taken away from, um, in, in a lot of businesses that I've known, you take away the leaderboard because it's part of the culture is not wanting to be X, Y, and Z in this kind of modern world. Um, having that for me is so integral, something where everybody can drive to. And uh, I think it's so motivation, motivational when you come on to something like that as well. But yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, you also have to be humble to make sure that the leaderboard is driving the right behavior, right? I mean, you also have to say, you know, as an example, it shouldn't be about funnel build, right? A lot of companies, oh, I want to build funnel because then you have people doing the wrong behavior. They're putting in fictitious funnel, right? It should actually be things that create the outcome that you want, right? A seller doesn't get paid on funnel build. A seller gets paid on funnel execution, right? So you find the right things that are relevant to your business, right? And say, these are the behaviors that are ingredients to what success looks like. And that becomes your leaderboard. Maybe if you're an early stage company, and it is the number of proof of values that you're doing, well, then maybe for the first year, it's proof of values, right? How many are you doing? But then for the second year, it's not how many are you doing, it's how many are you converting? Or maybe for the first six months or quarter, you know, make it relevant to the business that you're in, to the behavior that you're trying to create. But hell yeah, I mean, you know, listen, if you don't want to know where you stack up, then you shouldn't be in sales, right? It doesn't mean that if I'm the number four guy in the business that I'm a useless sack of suds, right? It just means that somebody out executed me, but damn it, next quarter I'm going to get them. Yeah, right. That's that's the mentality I want. Right. Yeah. So. No, I love it. And um, yeah, reading the uh, the qualified sales leader by uh, John McMahon as well. He talks about um, having everything aligned and, and speaking the same language and, and doing things like that. So no, it's um, 
It's awesome. Um, so I know we're wrapping up the the podcast today, uh, Rob, but uh, obviously we've unpacked a lot of stuff in it and thank you for spending some time. But I do have one more question. Um, and I, I know before you was, uh, you was thinking about this, but what advice would you give to yourself when you was an account executive back in the day, looking back? Yeah, you know, I, I think I think the biggest thing, and again, I'll pull out, I'll tug at a couple of themes here, right? And and some of these I've done better than others, and some of them I have to remind myself, right? Um, like we've said repeatedly, get uncomfortable, particularly early in your career, right? Put yourself in those positions where it's not so much about getting noticed, right? But it is about getting exposed to different kinds of leadership, different kinds of opportunities, right? Put yourself on one of the teams about marketing, but I'm in sales, put yourself there, you'll build your network, right? So I would I would absolutely advise myself to continue to do those kinds of things, right? Seek out those mentors um, repeatedly. Again, and by the way, they may be formal mentors, ask for it, okay? They might be informal. I mentioned Jim Welch. Jim Welch would not say he was my mentor, but I learned a hell of a lot by watching, right? Be, act, do the way that Jim did things, right? Seek that out. Um, you know, I, I mentioned get uncomfortable, be humble. When I was early in my career, you know, I had a little bit of a swagger, I had a little bit of a strut. I think that's important, right? But again, know where you are in in the machinery right and 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 bring that swagger bring that ego that says i'm going to show up and do a damn good job but don't be a peacock strutting around right um because you know what you might be this year's number one you might be next year's number 100 right you can still contribute to the organization um by being an athlete in the business and and this you know, again, always do the right thing because it will come back to bite you. If you don't, I'd like to think it would. At least for me, I do the right thing. Um, here's the one that I would say we haven't talked about. Know when it's time to pull the ripcord. Right? Um, for me, at least, I say that I like to keep learning. I like to be uncomfortable. Um, if I find that I'm comfortable, if I find that I'm stagnating, it's time to pull the ripcord because the best me doesn't show up then. Um, and I think, again, that's a very personal thing for different folks, right? The best, you know, when I say the best me doesn't show up, again, I don't mean to sound arrogant. I still do my job, right? I still show up. But what fuels me is like just waking up every day trying to figure out how to rip the cover off the ball and to work with people that are like-minded and if you find that that's not the attitude that you're showing up with, well, then don't do your teammates, your company, and your clients a disservice by just getting into that comfort zone. Pull the damn ripcord, right? Um, and, and there've been a couple of times in my career where maybe, you know, stayed around a little bit longer than, you know, in, in hindsight than I should have. And again, that goes back to being uncomfortable, being confident and building your network so that others are out there kind of advocating for and with you and you're doing the same thing for them so always build your network but do it not just with yourself in mind do it with what you can do for others right i think that is advice i would absolutely give uh my younger self awesome awesome stuff well uh well rob there's so much information today and i really appreciate you coming on uh, the podcast we'll look forward to maybe doing one in the future again but yeah thank you so much for your time
My pleasure. I hope it added value. I know just being talking with you, Elliot, really is always thought provoking to me. So uh, I just want to acknowledge and appreciate your thoughtfulness and and uh, and, and the conversations that we've uh, had the opportunity to have. Really appreciate the opportunity to be here with you and, and your community. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, we'll speak to you soon.